more than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with fashion educator and activist Dr. Ben Barry. I first met Ben Barry back in the late 90s. He was a mere teenager, but he certainly impressed the heck out of me. This young Ottawa-born Dynamo had just started his own plus-size modeling agency, all in the name of inclusion and diversity. Ben's passion to redefine society's ideas of beauty became his mission, and he went on to get a university degree in women's studies before eventually completing his PhD in marketing at Cambridge University. Ben's love of fashion and the platform it provided for change led him to teach at Ryerson University's School of Fashion, where he became chair, inspiring students to see the world through a bold new lens. Under his guidance, Ryerson's fashion school became a leader in social and environmental justice. But just last summer, Ben landed a new gig, He's now Dean of Fashion at New York's prestigious Parsons School of Design, alma mater of such famous designers as Donna Karen, Tom Ford, and Marc Jacobs. And while Dr. Ben Barry has already done so much to influence young hearts and minds set on pursuing fashion careers, in many ways, his trailblazing work has only just begun. Ben Barry, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. I'm so happy to have you on this podcast because you are such a big brain and I've known you for a long time. I've really a seen long you. time. A long time. When I first met you, Ben, you were a kid. You must have been like, I don't know, I think you might have been about 14 years old. You'd started this modeling agency in Ottawa for like diversity in the name of diversity for, for plus size models, which was, you know, a pretty heady notion at the time. I just couldn't even believe it when I met you, like what force, who is this guy? What a firecracker. <laughs> Tell me about uh, growing up in Ottawa and what made you want to pursue a path of this nature. Yeah. I mean, I think back and now we have conversations about diversity and modeling all the time. We've seen such incredible change in the models that are on runways and magazines. Um, but at that point in the 90s, when I started my modeling agency, this was an unknown really concept. And I think for me, it was being in high school, talking to my friends and really listening to how they felt when they didn't see themselves represented. They loved fashion. They wanted to be part of this incredible world but they didn't know if fashion had spaces for them. And at that point, I knew nothing about the fashion industry. I was 14, 15, but I thought this should be something that's for everyone. Everyone should be able to tap into the magic and joy and glamour that is fashion. And so I decided to start a modeling agency that represented models of all sizes and races and ages, models that were not currently represented at other agencies. Wow. But the fact that as a teenager at that particular age, at that particular time, that you would see the world through that lens is what really blows my mind. I mean, your mother, you were close to your mother. You, I mean, I don't know. I remember, I think, meeting your mother. Maybe she accompanied you on a promotional trip to Toronto or something at one point. So how much of an influence was she on the way you saw the world? Oh, I think my family 
was hugely influential in everything I do, how I live in the world. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors, escaped Nazi Germany, and I think instilled in me very much what genocide felt like, what oppression is like. Um, and even my mom uh, growing up in Canada, um, I know she, I remember a story she would tell me she joined a swim team in Quebec went to a meet and as she was in her lane ready to race they pulled her out in front of everyone um because that club that she was at the meet at said that no jewish people were allowed in and asked her to leave and so in many ways those stories i think stuck with me became part of my dna um to ensure that no one has to feel like that but also i think my grandparents always instilled that they were so grateful that Canada let them in, that this was a place they could build their life. They were so honored to be here and said, you know, you have one life. We got to be here. Do something where you can give back. Do something that brings you joy. Make everything you want. And I think having that privilege and that guidance just always stayed with me and continues to drive me and I think will for the rest of my life. I totally relate to that as a child of Holocaust survivors uh, myself and how I almost felt, as you probably felt with your grandparents, I felt that I couldn't just have a good life or, you know, a, a great life. I had to have a fantabulous life because I had to make it up to them somehow, or I had to, you know, maybe live some of the dreams that they could never realize. So I totally relate to that, uh, that drive and that passion. Growing up gay, how tough was that at that particular time? I think it was definitely tough. I mean, it's something that I didn't come out until my first year of university. And I think part of that was really nothing about my family. They were completely open and accepting and loving. But I think growing up in Ottawa, um, which is a great city, but when I was there, it was still pretty conservative. It was still maybe not the most open or accepting place um, that I didn't feel I had the confidence to fully come out. Um, at that point when I lived there. But I think my modeling agency and being in fashion gave me this outlet to express all the creative parts of myself, to tap into a different part of myself that maybe I couldn't fully express at that moment, but I had this other channel. And I think that's what was so nourishing about running a modeling agency as a teenager is I could be part of this world filled with creative people who were themselves. And that I think very much inspired me to tap into who I was and reflecting now when I did move to Toronto gave me the confidence to then come out and totally be who I am. Every great conversation needs a pause, so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone, and TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hilary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Pico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together.
the modeling agency is still around? It's not. Um, okay. Too it was bad. around for 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I ran it throughout my time in school. Um, while I studied, I ran the agency. It grew. Um, but I think there was a point I was doing, I was finishing up my PhD and I was looking at models. I was looking at do consumers want to see more diverse models? How do models impact their purchase intentions, their body image? And part of that research led me to believe that models were important, but they were only one part of the fashion system. So much of the deeper change that we needed to make was to transform the worldviews and the practices of the next generation of fashion creatives and professionals. So when they design, when they create, when they strategize, they do it from a true place of inclusion. And what does that look like? And so at that point, I was finishing up my PhD and I realized I should be in fashion education. Education is a place where I can work with the next generation to imagine an industry as it ought to be. And what could that look like? And so that brought my path moving from the modeling agency to fashion education. All so inspiring. And the way that you rose through the ranks, I mean, first, uh, you know, teaching at Ryerson, um, heading up then the Ryerson Fashion School, and now heading up the fashion school at Parsons. I have such respect for you because I know that um, that is not an easy road to hoe, especially when you are the kind of dreamer that you are. Uh, you're a doer, but you're a big dreamer. You've got a lot of vision. And I understand so well the politics of academia <laughs> because of my own experience that my sister is a university professor. Uh, it, it has been for many years. I mean, I, I know that world. Um, and especially now, and especially now. I mean, if it was ever tough to to live in that world uh, and to breathe that air, I mean, this is it. However, it's it's noble of you because I know it's, this is what you're doing. You've just got your mind set to do this and you're doing an incredible job. It's a daunting job, I would think, a very daunting job because I always felt working um, for the many years that I did with fashion television, 27 years and influencing of so many people with our show to perhaps pursue a career in this seemingly glamorous uh, arena that we created um, a monster in a way. Uh, we hyped the thing to death until it looked like the coolest job on earth, the best place to work. And everybody wanted to get into fashion somehow. And you know what? The reality is that there's just not that many jobs, really. There was not that the business wasn't doing that fabulously well. I mean, it was just a tough thing to do. So what about for you? Because here you are trying to inspire a whole you know, generation of potential fashion arbiters. Um, what is it like for you? Is it daunting uh, or are you just turned on by the challenge? I mean, I think first and foremost, it's that it's tapping into the joy that fashion brings you. I think, right, like I am... I'm someone that, yes, wants to change the world of fashion, but that's because I love fashion, because I know the magic and the joy and the fun that it can bring. And so I try to really tap into that every day, because when you are in an organization, when the industry is changing, when there are challenges, right, it's so easy to move on the side of becoming cynical or losing that joy. And so how do you let that really serve as your guide. And for me, first and foremost, that's so important. 
I also think that fashion touches all parts of the world, are all parts of culture. And often I think students might think that fashion design is the only pathway to work in fashion. But the truth is that it's one of so many different jobs that are in the fashion industry or in the adjacent creative industries or in so many other fields. And I think part of responsible fashion education is providing that knowledge to students and those opportunities so they realize that they can study fashion, whether that's fashion design, communication, and business. They can work within the fashion industry, but that knowledge is also so valuable in so many other fields. Mm. And I think part of what I've wanted to do is to make sure that curriculum reflects that, to make sure that students know that, and to make sure that we connect with employers who also know that. Because then you can still find that joy that fashion brings you and realize mm. that you can make that real in so many different career options. Mm. It's not just being a designer. That's one of mm. many opportunities. But there are so many uh, kids still dreaming about having their own label. I mean, that always seems to be, you know, but especially the kids that are driven by ego and, you know, nothing's terribly wrong with that. I mean, I think you have to have a good dose of ego to get you up in the morning even, but but, you know, it seems that unless you have a rich uncle or someone who's really going to, you know, get behind you with big bucks backing from the get go. Um, wow. What a struggle. What, what do you say to uh, those kids that have those particular stars in their eyes? I mean, I think there's so many incredible resources for entrepreneurship and for starting your own business. And in many ways, I think sometimes you have to do that early, realize it might not work, do something else. And then come back to that later. But knowing that experience is always valuable. I think so much for me is it's thinking really beyond fashion design in terms of clothing. That that is one very like great business, great career path. But there's so many other things you can do as well. And so it's sitting down with a lot of the students or alumni that do want to start their own business and thinking about what could that look like and what are the different spaces you might want to play in that aren't only about design clothing. Yeah, well, that's why you're such a great choice uh, as someone to be running uh, this particular fashion school, the fashion school that you came from, because uh, you're a businessman. I mean, you were a little businessman when I first met you, gosh, at the age of 14. You really understand the machinations of, of that whole thing, too. Um, but just talking about clothing for a minute, it's almost like a different world now in terms of, uh, you know, the way we deal with clothing, the way we think about it, um, the way we consume it, and the responsibility now that has come with all that for consumers. Uh, that's something that, you know, even back in the day when I was <laughs> exploiting the scene, you know, in, in the 90s or the, the knots, we weren't really thinking about things like sustainability and responsibility. And it was just, ah, yeah, the more stuff in your closet, the merrier and just, you know, cheap fashion, you know, democratized style. And it was a wonderful kind of thing. And all that's changed now, or hopefully is continuing to change rapidly. Um, so what do you what do you tell this new uh, generation about that and about the importance of clothing in our lives or perhaps the waning importance of clothing in our lives? So much of the story of education and fashion is about recognizing that being in fashion is this combination of pure magic, but also immense responsibility, right? A responsibility to how people feel about their bodies, how they feel in their bodies, 
our responsibility to climate, the environment, and our world, and its sustainability for future generations, and a responsibility to telling stories about culture and understanding who is telling those stories. How can we ensure more and more people can tell their stories through fashion? And so recognizing that being in this world comes with an enormous responsibility and how do you want to use that? And so, so much of the work that I've done, whether it's developing curriculum, hiring faculty, teaching, has really been about how do we share those worldviews and narratives and practices with the next generation so they can think through them, they can help develop them, they can experiment with them, and then they can bring that into the industry and the world. I really think that fashion education can be almost this micro utopia where we get to play and experiment outside of some of the very real limits that industry and the real world has. And then we can test out these concepts and then bring them to life afterwards upon graduation, after a research project. And that's really what I hope to harness. And part of that is how can we design for all bodies? Part of that is how can we ensure that the histories we tell about fashion are inclusive and diverse and multiple? How can we move away from design that focuses on one individual as the pinnacle as the director to really team design where we celebrate the collective and we celebrate what happens when we co-generate design and knowledge together in community and everyone shares that. What could all of this look like? And I think that is what we get to play with and test out in the classroom. That is so interesting. And just you talking about the, the collective rather than the, the one luminary it really reminds me of the Dior show that took place uh, just after John Galliano fell from grace uh, and was you know, kicked out of the house. And they had this incredible collection almost ready to hit the runway. And there, and, and nobody knew how it would unfold and how would they show this. And the star Galliano wasn't going to be there. And at the very end, of that incredible show, entire team that had worked on that collection came out in their little white coats. And it was a real moment in fashion for me, very poignant and perhaps really the beginning of the end of the designer as celebrity. I mean, some people still think of designers as celebrities, of course, but you know, I'm interested in your you know, take on that, to expound on that further. Uh, because for a while there, when we were doing fashion television all those years, the designers were the rock stars. I mean, they were really it. I mean, that whole celebrity um, spotlight was what we lived for. And now, hmm, the role of celebrity in fashion, what do you say? Yeah, I remember that show. I remember that moment and really the power it held when we celebrate the collective. I mean, I think so much as we've seen that it's impossible for one person to do the job, um, to know everything, to be able to create everything, to be able to satisfy all of these goals and objectives. And we've seen the very real impact it has on mental health, on well-being um, of brilliant creative people. And so I think so much is moving from fashion design where we celebrate or cherish this independent star to moving to a model where there's an interdependence and a sharing. And I think that just enriches design practice because 
no one person can know everything, can create everything, can know about all bodies. And so when we have a team with folks who have such different lived experiences and knowledges and expertise, when they bring that together, they can create something incredible. And I think it makes the practice of design, the process and the output so much richer. Um, I think of a course I'm teaching actually this semester at Parsons that's on fashion and disability justice. And we're bringing um, disability and deaf folks together with fashion students in the program who are both disabled and non-disabled to work in design teams to create garments. And part of the experience is how do we work in a diverse design team and honor everyone's access needs and ways of working? And how can we value the different knowledges and experiences that we have? And how does that all contribute to shifting, changing, innovating our design process and design output? Because I think so often we don't have the opportunity to learn how to be interdependent and work in teams within a design school environment. So much is focused on your work by you and you're the star and let's work just on the individual. And so it's really the class is really trying to shift to what happens when we work in an interdependent team. And we all share, we rely on each other, we respect different knowledges and experiences as design wisdom, and what can we create when we do that? And I think very much that is essential, not just to creating fashion that works for so many more people, but creating fashion that is so much more loving and tender for designers. Because that pressure and intensity and spotlight is off the individual and it's shared as a group. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds so idyllic too. I mean, I just hope some of those fashion people can get over themselves. I mean, I certainly came from an era where it was, uh, you know, largely driven by ego. And it was all about, you know, the, the power of uh, the individual, you know, leading the way. So uh, wonderful to see uh, how things uh, are, are evolving or have the potential to truly evolve. I know as an educator, obviously, you, you know, you're focused a lot about uh, on the future. I mean, that's, you know, what you're preparing people for. But um, there's also a healthy look to the past because we all learn from the past. What do you think we learned from that so-called uh, golden age of fashion uh, that we had the uh, the privilege of experiencing. I mean, I certainly feel like I have the incredible privilege of uh, of really living in those trenches and coming up close and personal with all those iconic figures. Uh, obviously, it's an era that that is no more. What did we take from it, uh, for for better or worse? I think we take a lot of good from it. I think. I mean, I know. I think two things that I really take from it is one what I've called the magic of fashion. I think that there was such a spark, such an energy that compelled you that I would see watching fashion television that so many other people would see that I think without sharing those behind the scene moments, folks in wherever they live watching, you know, TV wouldn't, wouldn't ever have access to. And I think that sparked that energy where people could be part of something play with clothing, express themselves, really showed so many people that there was this amazing world and that fashion is amazing. And that opened up an industry that wasn't open to so many people before. 
to dream about them being in that and wanting to be in that. I also think that era told us about the importance of community and relationships, right? I think so often of watching you backstage, talking to the same people, you know, every season, sharing insights on a show, watching the relationships you formed with people in the industry and seeing that real care and that real connection, I think also showed that this isn't just a place that's about feeling magical, but there really are deep relationships, important relationships and community. And I think knowing that you could be part of a field that would bring that. And I think that's unique. I don't think every industry has that. I don't think every industry makes you feel magical or has the potential to make you feel magical. I don't think every industry has that ability to foster such real meaningful connection um, season after season. And I think that era really certainly showed me that and wanted me to not just be part of that, but bring that to so many other people. And so much of, I think, my teaching is, yes, it's focused on understanding how can we bring about more inclusivity? How can we foster social justice? But how can we also continue to nurture relationships and community? How can we ensure that people know that, yes, we're working towards ending some of the problems in fashion, but that doesn't mean that we don't love fashion. That doesn't mean we don't want the magic to disappear. We want all of that. We just want it to be more accessible for more and more people. So I think that Eric really instilled that within me. And it's something that I try to bring not just into my work, but into the classroom. You really uh, spoke about that really beautifully, eloquently. Yeah, I guess that's ultimately what got me into that whole arena in the first place, that uh, that urge for connectivity and uh, just the humanity of of something like fashion. You know, the fact that we were the only creatures on the planet that actually wear clothes, you know. So it it really makes us think a lot about our uh, our own condition and our social condition and what an incredible uh, ride that whole uh, thing was. But hopefully, a lot of those values remain. The fact that you're a Canadian heading up uh, one of the world's most prestigious fashion schools in America, how does that make you feel? I mean, it must be you must be pretty proud of yourself. I like I'm proud of you as a Canadian and as a a, a Canadian flag waver who really always wanted a little more attention for this country and the incredible talent that it has to offer. Pretty amazing that you landed in this spot. It still feels like a bit of a dream. I mean, this whole journey honestly feels like a dream. I just sort of focus on what's in front of me this day. How can I do the best I can and what's going to happen when um, I applied for the position and went about the process? I think my goal was really, I wanted to share a new vision of fashion education. How can fashion education create the industry we want? How can we foster social justice really deeply in what we do? What could that look like? And how could I help work with the community of Parsons to bring that to life? Because I really believe that if Parsons does this, that will then, because of the platform, will ripple to fashion schools around the world. And did I think they were going to hire me? Absolutely not. I was like, oh, this is going to be too radical. I'm Canadian. I don't even know if I have a chance at this, but I'm excited to be able to be part of the process. And so I was truthfully really surprised when I got the phone call, but I'm so excited. And I think that there is just a deep understanding that like we have in Canada. I feel very proud to be Canadian um, and particularly to bring the knowledge that I've been so privileged to learn here about indigeneity, about our history, 
about how do we support underrepresented communities in meaningful ways? How do we shift power? I think we've done, I think there's still lots of work to do, but we've done work in Canada that is unique. And I'm grateful to be able to bring that to New York. And I'm also just proud to continue to think back to my grandparents and think that they would be so thrilled that like, I have said no limits. I've just tried, tried my best. And like, this is what's happened. And they went through so much. So I could take, you know, what they went through and sh- and just be here and be able to make an impact. And I really, I think of that on days where you come out of a bad meeting, you're stressed with deadlines, something doesn't go right. And you're like, oh, this is just not working today. And I'm like, okay, Ben, I need to just sit back. I need to remember where I've come from. I need to remember what I think is in my DNA and that purpose and the struggles that my grandparents went through or so I could continue to do this. And if they were able to survive what they survived, I can muster up that spirit to deal with my day and to help navigate in a respectful and compassionate way. Um, And that's always, it's just so much part of who I am. And I think of it every day and I'm grateful to have that in me. I can't tell you how much that resonates with me. It's totally, it's like I'm, I'm listening to myself talk about, you know, you're one generation removed, but still obviously had a very close relationship with uh, your grandparents. I never knew my grandparents. They were, my grandparents all perished um, in the war, but to have, you know, parents that came over here um, that had gone through what your grandparents went through. Uh, yeah, wow. You can't ask for uh, bigger superheroes than that. Uh, their truth. And their heart, you know, lives on uh, so profoundly in us. So we're really uh, so lucky. You also are adamant about balance in your personal life. It seems like following you on Instagram, uh, because uh, you have a beautiful partner. You've got a dog. Right? You you spend a lot of time in Prince Edward County, which is the next county over from me. I spend a lot of my time in Northumberland County and um, Eastern Ontario. So he now, especially because you're going to be going to New York back to and fro, is that something that you really want to hang on to? Is that something that's a big focus for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really big focus. It's work. It's intentional. It doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. And so you need to recenter yourself. But I think one of the things that I've I've certainly learned from my mother is that if you're not, you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself, right? If you don't feel centered, if you're not nourishing your own soul and your body and who you are, um, it's difficult to then give 100% to nourishing others. And so I really try to build in that balance, that care, that time, so I can then give fully to my colleagues, my students, um, and the people in my life. Does it always work? Absolutely not. Do sometimes I get totally overwhelmed and uncenter? Lots of times. But I try to recenter and rethink because I really think, you know, you have to you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of other people. And so I try really hard and I'm very, you know, just before you're just like after the pandemic, we were able to get a house in Picton and Prince Edward County. And this place has been just a saving grace for me. It's been such a healing place, a place to build community, a place to move slowly, a place to be in the nature. And when I found out that the drive to New York city was only about six and a half, seven hours away, I was like, perfect. 
easy for us to come back from Manhattan for long weekends, um, for time when we're remote. And so it's helped. It's helped. I think that whatever that care looks like for yourself, it looks different for each person, but to try to build that in, because if you're nourished, you can nourish others. I got to say, Ben Barry, I'm just uh, so happy to know you and uh, so happy to been witness to this uh, amazing success of yours. I can't wait to see uh, where you're going to take it all. Well, like so many people, thank you for helping to inspire this journey and show the magic that fashion is to all of us. Mm. Because without you, I wouldn't know this world existed. Wow. Thank you so much, my love, for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. A real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. New episodes of podcasts will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.